Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 147. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed, award-winning performance artist, puppeteer, and pop culture icon, Paul Zaloom. Paul. Uh, hi. How are you that, doing? That, that's a very yeah. that's an impressive... Uh introduction i i hope to live up to it <laughs> so it's interesting you know I, I reached out to you you have vermont roots uh you went to you went to uh, goddard school you're also an alumni of bread and puppet theater and uh and, and, and farmer wilderness camps in um plymouth union and um and that area of uh I, is that <laughs> It's not central Vermont. No, it's like northern, in the northeast county, the Quaker camp, right? Is yes, northern, southern Vermont. <laughs> like the main camps are just south south of Woodstock, right? Uh, but I went to Salt Ash Mountain, which is um, uh, on Lake Nineveh, which I believe is in Plymouth Union, right? Right. And yeah, Quaker, great Quaker camp. They were integrated from day one in 1947 when they were founded. Right. And a really wonderful place. And I was an exchange student at Putney School in Putney, Vermont, as a high school senior. Um, so, yeah, I'd go back a little bit and then Goddard College, um, the great hippie college in Plainfield, Vermont, which is now a low residency uh, institution and doing real well. Yeah, they were able to pivot pretty well to uh, um, to everything as as even pre-COVID when all when you know, you know, uh, school was different. People were expecting to, you know, work more remotely. People were expected to, you know, learn more remotely as well and having those hybrid classes. And, um, yeah, there was, uh, it was, uh, it was a couple deep breaths for a second there, but I was really happy to see that Goddard was able to kind of pivot and be able to pull off something that is, uh, being able to still stay relevant and successful in their academics. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the problem with being in an experimental school is if your experiments succeed, then other schools that have better endowments and have more resources steal the ideas. And so you have to keep reinventing yourself. Right. That's always been the dilemma for experimental progressive schools, whether they be Putney School or Antioch, Goddard, um, Hampshire to some degree, New College in, in Florida, yeah. um, some of which are around, some of which no longer are. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and that's where you initially kind of got into it when you're at Goddard. It was they had the also the, the Bread and Puppet Theater, um, which is also a Vermont institution, kind of started off. That's when you kind of first got your, you know, uh, kind of started sinking your teeth into puppetry. From there, correct? Yeah, Brett and was in residence at Goddard um, on a farm that was part of the campus just down the road from uh, Northwood, um, yeah. Kate Farm, which is now a, it's back to being a working farm. Yeah. And so the theater was in residence there, later moved to Glover in the Northeast Kingdom to another uh, farm, even more spectacular. 
And uh, yeah, so I took a couple of workshops and ended up joining the company and writing my senior thesis about Bread and Puppet. And I'm on the board and it's been 50, 50, I don't know, five years or something like that. <laughs> well, you've, you've been on the board for 55 years? No, working with say. the company. Yeah, associated you... with the company, working with the company. Okay. Um, I'm on the advisory board because I live far away and it's better for me to advise. And um, But it's pretty much the same as a voting board member. Right. Because I was going to say, you're way, uh, you're way too young to be on a, on a, on a board for 55 years. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't, I mean, I guess we had a board then, but we didn't really, we're much more oriented as a conventional organization now with a board because the demands on us and the times have changed. Right. I mean, we've always been a nonprofit. We've always had a board, but we're much more focused on the future and just because the times kind of demand it. Right. And so it's interesting as you know, you bring that up because you know, it's just the, the idea of the arts and the, the idea of, and you mentioned in a previous interview it was funny because I was, you know, you know, doing doing the research on it before uh, before we were, we were talking. You didn't you did an interview back in 2016 uh, that you talked about you, you talked about that um, that puppetry is coming back. Like you were, uh, you know, this is as you, as you talked about this is you know pre TikTok pre you know like you know like you know these little one minute video things, but. Do you do you still stand on that being six years later? Do you still see that, that there is something about the analog version of 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 art being able to interact with that on a on a physical level? Do you still see this this push that 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 puppetry is still um, stronger than it was, say, like twenty years ago? I think, yeah, I think that's probably true. Um... There's a couple of universities that have puppetry programs, particularly uh, University of Connecticut, which also has a fabulous puppet museum, the Ballard Museum, uh, run by the great puppet scholar, John Bell, who has been a colleague of mine, bread and puppet for a million years, oh, wow. an amazing performer. Um, uh, and CalArts had a puppet program for a while, um, and, you know, people teaching classes and stuff like that. There's the Eugene O'Neill Center that does a puppet thing every uh, year for a week or two. So there's a lot more, like, educational slash institutional training and all that kind of stuff. And they just, you know, grind people out, pop people out. You got these puppeteers all over the place. So that probably has something to do with it. And uh, just, you know, it's cheap and down and dirty and, you know, um, alternative. Uh, puppeteers have traditionally gotten away with saying things that actors can't say because the authorities by nature, you know, sort of vert, lean on the stupid side and don't really make the connection between the puppeteer and the puppet. You know, it's sort of mediated. The political opinions are mediated. Um and are not like firsthand. Right. So that's been true for thousands of years that uh, puppeteers have been able to get away with more uh, than than actors in terms of saying things. And uh, uh, puppetry has always been political. 
because of that. And also because puppeteers, you know, played on the street or, you know, they hung out with the pickpockets and the prostitutes or whatever. So we've always been uh, disreputable. And uh, I hope that I hope that reputation still stays. <laughs> I don't hang out with a lot of prostitutes or pickpockets, but I am. I'm fascinated by pickpockets. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it's interesting that you that that you that you talked about that um, that when you were on when when you talked about when you were on when you were on Beekman's World that you did mention that one of the one of the directors did say that was what was cool is that you had. Um, your movements had a beginning, middle, and end, and that was right. part of the fact that you were able to some of that 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 training of puppetry. Uh, where do you what What were some of the other points of that? If someone's interested in, because um, we have a lot of artists and writers that, that 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 listen to the program, what what would be some of the other trainings that? you would have to be picked, you would have to pick up on um, if you're getting a career in puppetry. I'm not convinced that you need training. Right. Uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. I mean, I've taught puppetry. I don't know how valuable that was. You know, some people told me it was, you know, kind of valuable or whatever. I mean, I wasn't trained. I just learned by experience working with a brother and puppet and, um, and we don't have work. I mean, Bread and Puppet does do workshops on the road. Right. Because all artists have to do that. You can't make a living unless you do it. Um, and there's a good there's a good aspect to that. I mean, in with Bread and Puppet, the workshops have tended to be just getting people to be in shows. Mm -hmm. So you learn by doing. You know, Peter just he doesn't teach, he lectures, but he he doesn't lecture about puppetry in a way where you could walk away and say, oh, now I understand puppetry. That's not really his tip. He's more ranting about politics and uh, the duties of puppetry and cheap art and the possibilities and things of that nature. Right. Um, I mean, I think you can get something really great out of going to puppet school. My friends who went to UConn, they learned to sew. They learned how to use a sewing machine. Now that's like super helpful. Right. So I never learned. I mean, I do sew. You have to sew if you're a puppeteer. You got to fix stuff on the road, you know. Um, and they do. They learn uh, voice also. Um, voice stuff, which I think is really important and really good. And sometimes they're exposed to a very broad um swath of influences which can be really good i taught at the uh institut international de la marionette which is in charleville mezieres in france and that's the that's the big international puppet school in france and that was interesting working with them um and basically we just made up shows mm. they you know we worked together with found objects and did some stuff and then they made work and then we did a public performance that's the way i like to teach right have people come with material i help them work it out and at the end of the whole thing we have a cabaret and everyone performs okay because if you think you know like if you if you think about it like what's what's so what's so important about puppetry is basically taking all the arts and putting it together as you say there's crafting, there's painting, there's, there's, 
there's there's acting there's writing there's you take every single piece of every type of art and you put it into into one genre and say you have to be good at you have to learn all of it you know? right you don't have to be good at any of it <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean it helps to be you know it helps to be good right i mean there are, the thing is i had a um a friend of mine recently um he's a an artist and he was talking about painting and uh i just thought wow he's kind of a snob and he's bad mouthing all these painters who i like and then i thought well you know i i'm as opinionated about puppetry <laughs> as he is about art so and you know you do when you do something for a while you do begin to have opinions about what the rules are, what you can do, what you can't do. And, right. and then you see an, an amateur, like pick up a puppet and do something that maybe breaks the rules or that you can't do that. Right. You, for some reason, that person is able to, so that's what keeps you humble. That's what makes you realize that all the training and all your dedication, all that can still be trumped by some person just picking up a puppet and doing something that you can't do and that's wonderful i love that that's really <laughs> great uh you know the whole thing about being an expert yeah there's an aspect of it but it, it ultimately of thinking of yourself as being an expert is not helpful it's better to think of yourself as being a novice or somehow stripping away all that experience and Right. We also say in puppetry that the puppet tells you what to do. You don't get to tell it what to do. And it's such a corny cliche. Right. But if you talk to anybody who works with puppets, they'll tell you that's that's the case. Right. You know, you get the thing, you play with it like a kid plays. You play and then you see what it does. Um, I mean, I do ventriloquism. That's one of the types of puppetry I do. And there have been times when the, the dummy, whose name is Butch Manley, he just writes his own material. It makes me laugh. I, you know, I don't know where I don't know where he comes up with this stuff. <laughs> you know, a lot of people tell you that writers and stuff like that. They have like voices in their heads. And right. um, yeah, there's me with that the dummy. Uh, he's an old school, um, kind of a Frank Marshall style figure. Right. Um, and uh, it's been a challenge figuring that out, I have to say. It's uh, figuring out what the right material. It's very different than puppetry. It's it's a kind of puppetry, but it's really different than all the rest. And what you see in the other part of the image there, that's a show called White Like Me, mm -hmm. uh, where I use action figures and tchotchkes and uh, knickknacks and bubble wrap and give a dog a bone, blah, 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 <laughs> uh, to tell a story about uh, white anxiety. And I made that show in 2010. <laughs> it was a little prophetic, uh, just about white anxiety about being uh, marginalized. So a, a phony history of uh, Caucasian uh, wonderfulness. Right. And do you see some of the, uh, what would you say too, was that the, the, the medium of puppetry is really good at, embracing that other genres have more difficulty in doing uh well the thing is you can play with scale right 
you can you can pretty much do anything. You know, if you want to go to Mars, you can go to Mars. Like I, I worked on a film with a the painter Sandow Burke and um, his artistic partner and wife uh, Elise Pinulay and Sean Meredith, the director, and they he had done a whole version of Dante's Inferno, right? Um, and uh, set sort of in contemporary times. And he said, "Oh, let's make a movie." And I was like, "I don't want to do a live action movie of Dante's Inferno. Like, who wants to do that?" Build all these sets, and they, you know it's going to cost a mint, and it's a pain in the ass. Right. I, I'm not interested. I said, "Let's do toy theater. Let's do paper theater." And they were like, "What?" <laughs> and we went to the toy theater museum that used to be in Santa Ana, and uh, I conned them into it. They totally got into it, and it was—it's just really fun to use puppets. Right. Uh, you can just, you know, anything you can imagine, you can pretty much do. That's what I like about it. And no special effects or, you know, maybe sometimes a cover and error or something, but. Right. When, what do you see as like one of your, your go-to, like if you were, if, cause you just, can you kind of mention like the, the paper puppets, what's your kind of go-to like puppetry that you're just like, I'm going to go straight to this one. Would it be like shadow puppets, rod and arm puppets, marionettes? What would be the one that you would, that you kind of default to? your default medium well it really depends like what the project is right what you want to tackle what subject matter you're interested in and then you figure out what medium is the the one that's going to be the most helpful to accomplishing my evil agenda Hmm. um you know i was sitting around one christmas uh, and look at some of the Christmas tchotchkes my mother had, the little Santa Clauses from Denmark. And it occurred to me, oh, that's interesting, Santa Claus. Like you could do a close-up of this one, then cut to a two-shot of this one with a snowman, and then do an extreme close-up of the third Santa Claus, and everyone would still know it's the same character. So you could, that. There's that's only true of Santa Claus and Jesus and Joseph Stalin and, you know, a couple other people. Um, and I don't have Joseph Stalin um, tchotchkes. They're hard to get. And um, Jesus, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, Santa Claus. So 300 Santa Clauses later, and we've made a bunch of films. And it's, you know, I started doing found objects in the late 70s just because I thought it was interesting to take garbage and debris and packaging material, toys and stuff you found in the trash and animating that as if it was puppets. And then I want to progress beyond that and using action figures and tchotchkes and knickknacks and just all this ugly crap to use that as puppets. And I think the, the, the found object thing that caught on, it's become something called object theater and all that. It's become a thing and whatever. But the tchotchke thing that I call theater of the tchotchke knickknack, you know, that's like to everyone that's like cheating. You didn't build them, you know, it's like even worse than the found object thing. But they're so dumb. And and what's so great is that somebody made these things with an idea and they make these expressions, you know, like something like this. You know, it's a Japanese made bisque. Um Oh, it's made in China. Uh, a bisque <clears throat> pumpkin, probably for Halloween. 
I would have guessed this is from the uh, 50s or 40s, but since it's made in China, I am less certain about it. But mm. anyway, you know, it's you manipulate it. It's interesting. And the foundness of it and the sort of stupidity of it is is fascinating to me. Right. So um, anyway, yeah, I make we've been making little movies. I have a um, YouTube channel called Fruit of Zaloom. <laughs> Fruit of Zaloom. And those videos are on there if you need a five minute laugh. That's been my latest uh, undertaking. Okay. So where do you see, I guess my, my other question, uh, you know, follow up to that is we are knock on wood. We're getting near the end of, we're getting near the end of this, uh, this pandemic. And have you seen how important have you, have you seen as somebody who has been in the arts for a while, have, have you seen a rise in importance to the arts because of where we've been? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's always been important to me. I'm a big fan of, uh, of fine art, of prints and painting, sculpture. You know, I miss going to the museum, mm. doing more of that now. Um, I love reading about it, art and design. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's placed. I mean, just the simple fact of being in the room with people again is really great. Right. You don't really realize it until, you know, you're in the middle of it, you're around people, you're at some event. You're like, wow, this is really kind of unfamiliar. It's been a while. Um, so, yeah, I hope... I hope there's a resurgence and a great, a certain amount more interest because, uh, you know, we've all been hiding in our basements. Right. I mean, it's almost like to the point is like, you know, it's when, when everything first hit, it's like you watched movies, you read books, you read. So there's, we, we all retreated to the arts to keep ourselves connected. Um, and, before this, you know, before COVID, whereas our, you know, our budgets were being cut in schools, our this was being cut. Do you see this as a as somebody who is a um, who is you know, I would say like a, a leading a leading face of one genre of art, which is puppetry and and um, and performance art. Do you see that push happening, like a resurgence of? investing more money into the arts now because of what we've gone through? Uh, I haven't seen an indication of it, but I'm not that tapped into what's going on in the funding world. Um, right. I don't apply for uh, grants anymore or pay attention to any of that uh, these days. I did serve on a panel. That was interesting. Um, that was interesting way to get connected to the local LA art scene. It was for emergency money, COVID money. And I was very inspired by the work being done by these venues all across the city, the dedication of people of uh, arts administrators who were not always my favorite, <laughs> <laughs> you know, having dealt with people, 
But the, at the end of the day, there's so many dedicated people who, you know, work for peanuts, work their fingers to the bone, so dedicated. And, you know, we artists owe them a lot because they're making it possible for us to do our work. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was that was very inspiring and very eye opening. And it was tough because we had to select just a certain number of people to get this, you know, five million bucks or whatever it was. Right. Right. And we have uh, um, for those that are interested. So you do have. The fruit is the loom. You have your web, your your YouTube channel. Um, yeah, yeah. And this is your found object. This is your found objects. They're more uh, knickknacks and knickknacks and tchotchkes. Yeah. yeah. Um. You on the right that little red uh, doll. That's a. Um, he's a uh, an elf. That's a beautiful one from the 1950s. Oh, he's wow. really great. Uh, and I appear as an elf. <clears throat> and I also appear as Santa. You can see in the middle frame there, I'm Santa. Yeah. So once in a while, um, I will also appear in these things. We do blue screen stuff, but no, no fancy high tech um, computer generated stuff. Just once in a while, and most of the sound effects I do myself. Okay, <laughs> and that's something crickets. You know, it, I can't do crickets, so right. it's just whatever the need is. There's no point to be super doctrinaire about and having rules and all of that you do and use whatever makes the people laugh whatever makes the joke play right and so have you been able to because um, i know pre-covid that you were you were doing some workshops like some where have you been able you've been doing um some some workshops through um through some video platforms since? i think I did some work at, for uh, UConn for their puppetry program. I did a um, like a visiting professor thing via uh, Zoom. Um, and I used to travel a lot in um, Mexico and Brazil right. because I was uh, on a TV show that was very popular in um, Latin America. And it was really fun to go down there and perform uh, the Fans are fanatical for some reason in Mexico and Brazil and Venezuela, not in Venezuela, uh, <laughs> in Chile and Argentina and Paraguay. And uh, so that was fun going on tour and going down there and doing live shows based on the show. It was a kid's science show called Beekman's World. Right. And it yeah. was a, uh, basically science education for kids and uh, it really struck a chord with a latin sensibility so i went down there a lot doing live shows and that was fun and that stopped that's that's dried up but i think it might come back well because yeah i noticed that you know on your on, on your website you did talk about that you know when your your beekman's world ran from 92 to 97 was that well that's we shot from 92 to 96 or 97 something like that but they have been in second run syndication and have been on canal once in uh in mexico and uh, the reruns and stuff like that i mean it would be great if it was on netflix and it was somewhere other than youtube uh these days because it is evergreen and it was an educational show it was you know pro-social and all of that right but I don't think the studio cares much and uh, right. it's, it's kind of sad because I, I think the show is pretty good and I think it was pretty educational, but you know, we did the best we could. Sometimes it wasn't so hot. Sometimes it was great, you know, just like anything else. Well, cause what, yeah, one of the things is that 
it, it it was you know innovative at this time when that was being shot because it was the character Beekman was created by one of your, your friends and one of your friend and colleague at the time. Um, yeah, uh, Jock Church. He was yeah, the guy. Jock who created, he created uh, an, a. Um, it was on the funny pages in the comics, and it was for kids. And he created it on a Mac. And it was syndicated in like 300 newspapers. And a guy in Hollywood got the idea, let's turn this into a kid show yeah. uh, to solve the requirements of the Children's Television Act <laughs> for having a certain amount of educational and or informational programming every day for kids if local stations want to get their licenses renewed. So right. it was really a government mandate that uh, created the educational shows that came out in the 90s. And uh, it was very much inspired by Soupy Sales and Lord Buckley and, uh, you know, less so Mr. Wizard, but to some degree. Right. And uh, it was a hell of a lot of fun. We had a great time. We had – it's because one of the things that you mentioned in a previous interview is that you, you don't see that ever coming back because of the, the cost of production of those shows is, was was too high and also – they're geared towards kids where you, I remember you were saying that nowadays they have to gear children's programming towards parents as well. Well, and towards merchandising. Right. I mean, th because the, the way they make their money is with toys hmm. and, um, and merchandise. So there are kid shows that, I mean, the, our show I think costs between 200 and 250,000 bucks an episode I think kid shows on TV now are more like 65,000 bucks in terms of production costs. So to have a live action show is really tough to do on 65,000 bucks with any kind of production values. And we had pretty high production values. I mean, it was a big ass set on a, a sound stage at Sunset Gower Studios, one of the earliest studios in, um, in Hollywood. And it was a beautiful set. It was huge. So all these different locations we could shoot in. Um, and that's kind of what made it fun too is just the beauty of the set and hanging out there and we had a great crew and wonderful writers we just had fun all day all night long it was just a total blast <laughs> a lot of work though right it was a lot of work and and but yes like as you mentioned is like what would it i'm yeah i'm curious is as you say why wouldn't netflix pick that up or or why wouldn't any of those other things? So do you, because um, uh, uh, Jock Church, he passed away in 2016, correct? I, I think that's right, the date. Yeah. Uh, he had diabetes. He had a heart attack on the set, actually, one wow. day. But um, he had very bad diabetes, and um, and he did he died. He was, he was a great guy. He was a real character, had a really interesting history. And uh, we got along really well. Um, and, you know, he he invented this thing. And right. it turned into something that uh, was, I think, beyond his wildest dreams. Right. Um, yeah. And did you, and because I know for, for a while, you actually did had a Beekman on the Brain. Is that what it? Beekman that was one of the stage shows. I, I, because I come from Bread and Puppet, like the only way, we know how to make a living is like take it on the road. So that was one of the things I learned from Bread and Puppet is like make a show, figure out how to get it in and out of there quickly, 
low tech. Um, and I toured almost all the states with a bunch of different shows. I made one about the brain because I really found that interesting. And I put ventriloquism. I put toy theater in it. I did uh, sort of a slideshow. I had video. I had all kinds of different media. And uh, it playing for kids in, in a thousand seat theater is a hell of a lot of fun. I <laughs> getting them all riled up. And, right. you know, I had a lot of burping jokes you know i had the one vent figure was a um a skull a talking skull mm -hmm. and um you know he burped a lot the kids loved that so it was it was a lot of fun i love touring and doing those shows for kids when i play in mexico and brazil there's like one kid in the audience and five thousand <laughs> all like nostalgia thing so instead of pandering to the kids i'm pandering to the mexican adults which means right. you know, half the show i'm ragging on trump <laughs> um, which is really fun did you because but obviously i mean you don't i mean it's in you do the show in english right yeah 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 um i learned french in school i've performed in french but i did not learn spanish unfortunately mm -hmm. uh but uh, the guy who does the voice for the dubbing, he often accompanies me okay. and does the uh, simultaneous translation. And, you know, a lot of young folks who are the, the fans tend to be college students and also people in their mid 30s and older. They tend to have college educations because, you know, they were interested in science and they kind of pursued that and they ended up as doctors or um, astrophysicists and, you know, um, science teachers and all kinds of folks. So a lot of them speak English. I just have to kind of go slow. Right. So let me ask, so from the, I guess from the business perspective of it, so artists who are learning to, wanting to make a living out of this. Uh, so I, my, my first question to you is that uh, with Beekman, is that, is that kind of like a, a a loaned out intellectual property or are you when like with like hypothetically speaking when this was on the show is this because was this owned by jock church the character beekman or was this something that you that you shared or how did that work out um the Sony and Columbia Pictures television says they own the 91 episodes okay and the music so they say everything else is owned by the estate of jock church okay um so i i did the live shows for like 30 years and no one complained so oh, wow. the way the copyright law works is i'm you know i'm allowed to do the live shows because no one complained i did them for a million years <laughs> uh, and jock was super generous and real cool about letting me do that Right. And and so a question about puppetry, because I know I know uh, I have a friend that's a professional clown. Um, I got a lot of friends who are clowns, but I don't have one who's a professional clown. Um, so is it some is it similar to puppetry where if somebody like in a clown, well, they, they have their own design and that's like they have to trademark it. Is that this kind of similar with puppetry? Like if you like, yeah, you have your ventriloquist. I mean, if you have some, is that specifically as you said earlier you kind of create some puppets and you kind of wait to see what their personality kind of becomes as you're kind of building it um is there some sort of 
intellectual property piece on that where another puppet, another puppeteer cannot create the same puppet, anything like that? I, I don't know. I've never bothered copywriting anything. It's like, who would want to copy, you know? It would be like a big loser move to like pop something for me, man. I don't suggest it. I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, it's interesting with the Hensons that Jim invented a kind of puppet, these mouth puppets, these foam things that has that watermelon wedge kind of mouth. And I don't, I don't think that that style or that design is copyrighted. And there's a lot of people who do that style and Muppet style of puppets. And I don't think that the Henson company and the kids are all that happy with that. They're like, that was his thing. That's what he did. Why do it? And I kind of agree with that. Right. Um, there are also, you know, theaters that have done bread and puppet style stuff where they're sculptural and painting style is not that different. I My thing when I left Bread and Public was I want to do something as completely diametrically opposed as possible because you can't compete with the guy. He's like the greatest puppeteer of the 20th century. His work is like unbelievable. Right. I, I couldn't possibly, you know, <laughs> compete with that. So I did the found objects and I did, you know, I made a, um, a gay Punch and Judy show, Punch and Jimmy. Right. Um, you know, and headed in a lot of, did shadow puppets and ventriloquism. You know, Schumann, when he saw my ventriloquist act, he said, well, you're very good at that, but I hate that thing. You know, <laughs> he hates it. So that's cool. You know, I don't care. It's like, it's not his thing. He hates it. It's diametrically opposed to what he believes puppet, puppetry should be and should do. And right. I understand that. And I agree with him, but it's, he's not an American. He's, you know, he was raised in Germany and uh, ventriloquism is a particular thing. And plus it resonates with us because of our memories of it in television, whether it be, um, you know, Ed, Ed, Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy or, or senior Wences or um, Paul. Howdy Winch. Doody. Right. Yeah. Well, Howdy Doody was a marionette. Oh, he was a marionette. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a different cultural resonance that's going on there. And right. uh I'm fascinated by Vent. I, I, I find it completely, totally fascinating. And I'm coming around to a new way of thinking about how to do it. Okay. So um, I, I, I've been writing some material and doing some thinking and, you know, so who knows? Maybe that'll, that'll emerge shortly as God knows what. And would, would you say that vent, ventriloqu is, ventriloquism, is that... Is that specifically kind of like a, an American form of puppetry that we've kind of assimilated into being more an American cultural thing or? Well, I think in the heyday, uh, I mean, ventriloquism and throwing your, throwing your voice and all that stuff, you know, dates back to ancient Greece. Right. There were a lot of vents working in England uh, in the 19th century. Uh, with complicated acts, with lots of dummies, lots of mechanics, all kinds of crap. Right. Uh, so no, I would I would not really say it's a distinctly American art form. Right. Um, I mean the the vent vent acts in in Britain there were a lot a lot of ventriloquists and a lot of them doing really interesting work. Right. Um, yeah. 
But that's the one that seems to like when 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 people think about puppetry, that's the one that seem, people seem to gravitate towards, as you said, from um, you know, from the uh, the vaudevillian acts and being able to have this, you know, this this exchange back and forth, um, you know, with uh, with you know, with the jokes back and forth as well as um, do you is is that also one of the more accessible forms of puppetry if somebody wants to start getting into puppetry what would you what would you say if somebody who has like a a, a 10 year old child who says hey i love puppetry what would be that that first thing you would say all right well try this first i mean obviously you can they can try anything but what would you be like what would be the training wheels version of your uh, uh that you would you give advice you would give um well, you know, my daughter, when she was a kid, I told her one time, I'm taking all your dolls and I'm all your stuffed animals and they're all going to the workshop and I'm going to some of them I'm going to customize. I'm going to sew them and I'm going to glue weights to their feet and I'm going to give them knees and stuff like that. And she was kind of pissed off, but she was also kind of fascinated. So I, I was working on a sort of Bunraku style show called The House of Horror, where I built these dolls that were, I don't know, they were like a couple of feet tall. And I wanted to use her dolls to figure out what the possibility of movement was with these dolls that I manipulated with handles that were behind them. And... Uh, so I kind of customized some of her stuff to figure out what I could do, what movements I could get out of them and stuff like that. Um, that's not answering your question. I mean, I, you know, kids play with toys, like with a dollhouse. It's really fun to play. I used to play with my uh, granddaughter's dollhouse with her and I would do the voices and stuff like that. And she's turning 17 years old today. Oh, wow. And I used to do this thing where the doll, you know how doll houses have like no wall. Yeah. And so the doll would go la, 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 and it would walk towards the edge and then it would fall and it would die. And she thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Again. So I do it like 50 times in a row. So it's just child's play. Um, right. I, you know, People getting into puppetry, I, I don't I, I don't have any advice. The thing is about ventriloquism, which has had this big resurgence because America has talent or something. Right. Uh, <laughs> Harry Fader and the young woman whose name I don't know, and and also the uh, the English woman with the monkey, uh, the, and and also uh, what's his name, Jeff Dunham. Right. Uh, I mean, Terry Fader got a $100 million deal in Vegas to do ventriloquism. So this caused a lot of people to, you know, wow, ventriloquism. But I don't, I'm not that interested in any any of their acts particularly. I don't find them particularly compelling or interesting. Um, I, I'm interested in the psychological aspects of it. I mean, and that's kind of why I'm, I'm still working on it. David, David Strassman, who uh, is an American, works a lot in Australia. He, he travels that area. He explores that area. But um, I love Senior Wences. I mean, he was, he was really my, my favorite vent.
right. with Johnny, you know, with the, the little hand that talked and the guy in the box and all of that. He yeah. was yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We had to like the 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 wig and everything on the yeah the hands. Yeah, yeah. And his he did the same act for over seventy years. Right. And he was on the Sullivan Show all the time, and he lived just down the street from the um, Ed Sullivan Theater. So if somebody bailed at the last minute and canceled, Sullivan would call up Wences, and Wences would run over and do his act. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I love that guy. So, so where are you? So, what's um? Uh, so, what? So, what? What? Do you have anything that uh, happening? As I say, you got you got your YouTube channel. Um, is there? Is there now that things are kind of like settling in, and we're seeing a lot of uh, um, we're kind of getting on the other end of this. Is there? Uh, are you looking at trying to get your shows back on the road again, or? I, you know, I've been, I just turned 70. I've been doing this for 50 years. My interest <laughs> in going on the road is diminished. <laughs> I'm just and dealing with the presenters and the travel and all the bullshit and the, the carbon footprint. And right. yeah. I just have lost a considerable amount of enthusiasm for that. Right. And making the movies, are, it's extremely time-consuming. It's very difficult. It's a new skill. I'm learning all kinds of stuff. I love the miniaturization of it. It's really fun dressing the sets. It's really fun looking at the frame edge to edge and composing it like you're a painter or something. I mean, it's it's all new territory for me. So that's really interesting. And I want to stick with the vent thing, keep working on the vent thing, and really find a way to make a revolutionary ventriloquist act. Right. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. <That means. laughs> <laughs> well perfect well you know so paul we're, we're knocking at the top of our hour so i just want to i yeah thank you so much for coming on this has been it's been a genuine pleasure chatting with you it's it's so nice to you know talk to uh, talk to some you know pop culture icons that have vermont roots it's always so important so well that's cool thanks so much and yeah, yeah. i'm very grateful to my friends and family in vermont um and the fans and supporters and yeah so many friends so many wonderful people in the northeast kingdom and in central vermont and i'm very grateful to putney school and the goddard college and the farmer wilderness camps more than more than anyone because everything in my life flowed from farmer wilderness camps right. uh every job i ever had every everything came from my gono's quaker summer camp down in southern vermont so uh, it's a very special place to me, um, and I, I love it, so I'm very grateful. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and it was, it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, likewise, man. Do you share that space too? Is then is that like your workstation as well? Uh no. The, I'm sitting at my desk, right. um, and this is all the. This is this really nice Danish modern bookshelf we have. Oh wow! And uh, is is the world seeing my office right now? They are. Yeah. yeah. This is really cool. Uh, I think he was a French artist. Oh wow! That's see that? like a print. Is that a print of some kind? Yeah. Yeah. 
it's called evacuation and the um the death there is uh driving the train and i have it's escaped my consciousness what that artist's name is was but i believe uh early 1920s 